Um, Wednesday and Thursday are our luncheons, so uh, be thinking about whoever it is God would have you bring and get exposed to the gospel. Al does a good job. He's uh, having come out of the background. He, he he immigrated here. I don't know. He was I think he was 17, if I remember right, when he immigrated to this country. So. He had an interesting 17 years, the first 17, with uh, going through World War II and the Nazis taking over his country and so on. So, uh, good story. Got a real heart for God. So, you'll enjoy him personally, but uh, let's not forget the, the reason we're there, and that's for the non believer. In fact, I got a call yesterday afternoon late from a friend of mine who, uh, a guy that he and I had been praying for for a long time, and he finally whipped the gospel on him yesterday afternoon, and he bingoed. And so he was, uh, needless to say, bingo. That's a, that's not a biblical term, but uh, <laughs> that is a, is that? That's right, guys. Jim, are you going to take that? Why not? What the heck? You know, we have equal time in here. You want? <laughs> You got anything to say about the Baptist? <laughs> Turn the other cheek. Yeah. His or yours? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So needless to say, he was, uh, he was very excited. And uh, nothing's more exciting than to pray for a fella. And then finally, God moves in his life and moves him from darkness to light. Uh, that'll... Uh, That'll put everything into perspective. Some of the things you've been worrying about uh, won't look quite as uh, quite as important. So, I'd encourage you to bring some guys either Wednesday or Thursday, and uh, if you're not involved in that process, venture out. And uh, if you can't do anything else but bring them to the luncheon, we'll bring them. This morning. Uh, um, I, I, Charles and I drew straws when we decided to do First, First Timothy, and I think he rigged the straws on me. But uh, anyway, I picked up. I got I got verse uh, chapters two and three, and then I, which are there might be a relevant <laughs> issue or two in there, and but we'll all agree on it, I'm sure. So, uh, so uh, for the next I don't know how long. We're going to sort around in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 3. We'll, we'll start on chapter 2 this morning. If I seem a little nervous, uh, Jim's recording this thing this morning, and uh, I have never done that. Probably some of the most embarrassing times in my life are to go back and pick up some old notes of some stuff I've taught two or three years before. It's, it's very embarrassing to think that I would teach it that way and uh, how, how you've changed in your views and so on. So it um, makes, me, makes me nervous to get it on tape. So, Someone take chapter 2 of First Timothy, 15 verses, and read those for us, would you please? First Timothy, chapter 2. Just one of you. 
You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in you, Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say. The first thing, Different book. Different book. Sorry. It's alright. Same guy. I urge, first of all, that request. I urge then, first of all, that request prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and fullness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. For this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the truth, true faith to the Gentiles. <coughs> Let's read the chapter. Someone, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer, without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, <laughs> but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, <laughs> and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness and prosperity. Let's pray, man. we just practice why don't we pray? <laughs> Father, um, we thank you for your word and for your instruction. And Lord, we recognize that this is instruction for the church, for us as your people. And Lord, I'd pray that you'd take your word and uh, accomplish your purpose. Teach us. Help us to be teachable, Father. Lord, uh, we know that uh, we're dependent upon you to teach us and uh, show us the way you look at things. And we know that most of the time we look at things uh, upside down to the way you look at them. We pray that you would uh, help us to see things as you see them. Take our time and minister to us fellowship with us, and thank you for the privilege of prayer. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's just walk down through the chapter. Just a word or two about chapter one, of which Charles spent the last two weeks on. <coughs> As all, most of you know, Paul is writing to Timothy, one of his young warriors, and he's told him to stay in Ephesus, and uh, they had some teaching that needed to be done, they had some problems with some heresy, and uh, 
I have an idea that Timothy probably dealt not only with the church at Ephesus, but there's, if you look at a map, there's several, there were several churches that are very close there in, in uh, Asia Minor. And uh, so, chapter 1, Paul really kind of sets Timothy up as, as Charles has walked through that with us and, and dealt, dealt with the key issue of, of our standing with God and our standing with each other. And in order to see those as God wants us to see them, we have to, we have to begin to understand the whole concept of grace and uh, that we relate to God on the basis of grace, not a, on the basis of law. The non-believer tries to deal with God on the basis of law, and he gets checkmated. And then the believers are called to deal on the basis of law, uh, accountability, uh, reinforcement, uh, encouragement. And so Paul kind of lays the groundwork for, for Timothy and then he begins to instruct Timothy in some issues that he needs to instruct those that are meeting in the body of Christ in Ephesus. Call it the church, if you will. At some point, we'll probably talk about the church as we walk through Timothy because it's really a, a book of instruction to the church and the church being the body of Christ. The church is here this morning. It's the, it's the people of God, the believers. And it takes all different forms from uh, an institutional setting of what we would call the, uh, the church that we go to on, on Sunday morning, most of us, to uh, meetings like this, to uh, all kinds of manifestations of it. And they're all legitimate manifestations of what the Bible calls the church. It's the body of Christ. And so we are the church. And so Paul writes to his young Timothy and says, here are some issues you need to teach on. Here are some issues you need to instruct the people on as they begin to, to function as God's people. And notice the very first thing he says. He's laid the background, he's laid the, 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 uh, the underpinning in chapter 1, but chapter 2 then he begins to deal with some of the issues. And notice the very first thing he says. First of all then, first of all then, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, believers and non-believers, the church, the body of Christ, you and I, the ministry, however you want to say it, has to be undergirded with prayer for all men. That's the foundation. And he uses four words here, and let's just talk about them for a moment. <clears throat> we're not talking about praying for ourselves here, we're talking about praying for others. First word he uses is, I urge that entreaties... <coughs> I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think King Jimmy says supplication. The word supplication, it's the same word that for some of you that have memorized or done some thinking on uh, Philippians 4, uh, 
4, 5, 6, and 7. I think 4, 6 says uh, uh, in, in prayer and supplication. Supplication there, that's the same word as this one. And supplication is praying specifically or petitioning God specifically. And so Timothy is telling us, or Paul is telling us, that we need to pray for others specifically. Run through in your own mind as you pray for others. Are you praying for them specifically? I think one of the real real answers to prayer that we've had in our own family is for years, for years we have prayed for godly spouses for our children if they're going to marry. And, of course, only one of our children's married. And uh, uh, But just it's a marvelous story of how God brought our son-in-law along who was came from a non, non-believing home. And uh, we saw him come to Christ. We saw him hang around our house for about four years and and see see what what a Christian family looks like in with all their warts and and so on and bef- and as we look back it was just God's way of orchestrating and and uh, preparing uh, preparing that marriage but we've been praying, praying for you know 15 18 19 years for that specifically for her. Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for others specifically with supplication? I mean, get specific. Are you? Paul says, we need to do that for all men specifically. Second thing he says, prayers for all men. I think as I looked up that word prayers there, you know, it's a word we use all the time, but it means just to draw to and near God. The psalmist says in Psalm 62, he says, Trust in the Lord, pour out your heart before Him, for He is our refuge. And as you have uh, concerns for other men, are you just getting close to God? And talking to him about it. Maybe you've just got emotions about it. You know, got a got a, a call last night from a guy, a brother. He's just gone through uh, surgery, and he's he's really going through some pain right now. Interesting. He's got a doctor. He told him that. Uh, he, I said, you got pain pills? He said, no. He said, my doc gave me pain pills for. a 24 hours and said he didn't then believe in pain pills. I'd like to put him on the on the table and see if he believes in pain pills. You know that's that's the way you feel. I feel for the guy. I mean he's hurting and uh, just draw near to God. Pour out your heart before God for other men. I think that's what Paul's instructing Timothy to tell you and I today. We need to get before God and get close to Him and just pour out our heart for the sake of other men. Yeah. And the third thing he says is in petitions. Or King James says intercession. Sometimes 
Sometimes men, all of us, do not see things as they are. We all know that we're our own world's uh, worst enemy. And sometimes you and I need to intercede for each other. I think there are times when... (laughs) There are issues in our lives we need to address, but we won't. Or emotionally, we just can't, or whatever. I don't, I don't know how to sort that out. And it takes, it takes time before we can even get up, get the gumption to, to face some of the giants in our lives. Or, uh, or even to see them, much less deal with them. And so I think that's where That's what Paul's saying here is we need to intercede for each other. We need to have intercession for each other. It's interesting, in in Romans 8, it says that God promises us that in those times when we don't even know how to pray, that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. You ever been there where you don't even know how to pray? You're hurting so bad, or you just you don't even know how to verbalize it. Just call on the Holy Spirit just to intercede for you. That's a wonderful promise we've got. And so, I think that's what he's saying here, is we need to intercede for each other. When you see a guy headed for trouble and he's not willing to look up, intercede for him. Great, great illustration of that. Let's just look at it. Go with me to Genesis. It's the first book in the big Bible. Chapter 18. (coughs) Please. Let me give you a little background. Genesis chapter 18, we're going to start with verse 22. A little background. Uh, An angel comes to Abraham, talks to him about his nephew Lot. Lot has, uh, a few years before, had moved down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God has determined that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they have just, the society has degenerated to Absolutely nothing but evil and corruption. And so the angel tells Abraham what's going to happen. And Abraham's concerned about his nephew Lot and his family down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that's where this picks up as Abraham interacts with the angel of God who's headed down towards Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. So someone would pick up with verse 22 and I want to read over to 33, the end of the chapter, so uh, if someone would, please. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Well done, you, are the righteous with the wicked. Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Be that from me, shall not the judge of all the earth 
This was the beginning of negotiation of man, right here. <laughs> then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry when I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find thirty. He said, Behold, I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this one, suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham, out of his concern for nephew Lot and his family, <coughs> was interceding. Lot had no idea what was going on. But Abraham did, and so he was interceding. He, that's intercession. He was having intercession for Lot. By the way, God did destroy it. So that tells you about the condition of the people, doesn't it? Yeah. But that's what Paul, I think, is teaching, telling Timothy to teach you and I, is we need to make intercession for each other. Are you interceding for other men before God? Let me... Let me share with you. Turn to Job with me. A prayer that I I try to go before God every day. For my family and there are <coughs> certain people that I've I've committed to try to pray for them on a daily basis. And this is one of the, the intercessions that I try to have for each one of them. Um, Job chapter 1. <coughs> Let me just read, starting with verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan... Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered and answered the Lord, Does Satan fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch that... I'm sorry. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. 
Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 that we, our adversary, we need to be of sober spirit and of strong faith because we have an adversary who is roaming around trying to uh, destroy us. But men, we have to remember that we do have a sovereign God, a sovereign Father, omnipotent, and there's absolutely nothing Satan can do to us unless God allows it. And so my, my intercession for my kids, my wife, and those that I've committed to pray for on a daily basis, I, I try every day to ask God to build a hedge around them, protect them from the enemy, from themselves. Yeah. That's intercession. And Paul says we ought, to, we ought to be praying. First of all, he says, back to 1 Timothy 2. First of all, we ought to be making petitions or intercession for all men. And then the fourth thing he says, in terms of... He says, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Giving thanks to God for all men. Are you thanking God for those that have come to Christ? Are you thanking God for how He's uh, blessing some of your brothers? or What He's doing in the life of your kids? Or your wife? The writer of Hebrews tells us that uh, the sacrifices that are pleasing to God is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God. Gratefulness. Are you thanking God for men or people that God's brought into your life? about your spouse? How about the guy that maybe was responsible or God used to uh, bring you into the kingdom or help you grow? Have you thought about who was praying for you before you came into the kingdom? You thank God for them. I do not come from a Christian home, but I both my grandmothers were believers. I've got I've got to ask them and I just I know. I just know they prayed for me many times. And neither one of them got to see me come to Christ. I had a great grandfather who was a uh, was a farmer, but he was also a uh, a lay preacher. Don't know this, but I'd be very surprised if he didn't pray for the second and the third and the fourth generation. I thank God for that. Are you thanking God for other men?
for other people, for what's going on in their lives. See, I think unless... I think that's why Paul says, first of all, because that's the absolute foundation for us to begin to see things from an eternal perspective, begin to love each other, accept each other, encourage each other, correct each other, all that God's called us to do. And the body of Christ will never function unless it's grounded and, and its foundation is in prayer because prayer helps us get it in focus and begin to see it from God's perspective. Yeah. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Yes, sir. Um, in the uh, example of intercession with Job, what is the value of praying that God would put a hedge around your family if God is sovereign and won't allow anything to come into your life that is not in your best interest? Jack Charles will be covering that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> It may be four weeks before he gets to that. And you'll be having some private conversation with me after this. Yes. In due time, huh? Yeah. Jack, I don't understand all... I don't understand very much about prayer. But we do have an adversary. And James does say that you have not because you ask not. And when I ask God that, I'm not trying, I, I, I in no way want, I, He knows what's perfect for my kids' lives and, and, and He's going to do what's best for them anyway. But it's, but there's, there's a, uh, we're, we're into a tension here again of, well, if I pray Will it happen or won't it happen? I don't know that. But I'm told to pray. And um, I don't know whether there's a possibility that that the enemy may have, that that I may affect the difference between the liberty that the enemy would have in my children or anyone else's life. I don't know that, Jack. And it's that old tension of, of, uh, of free will versus sovereignty of God. And I can't, I can't take that tension out. I can't explain it. But I've been instructed to pray for them and uh, to intercede for them. And uh, I think that's about as far as I can take that thing. I want God's perfect will for them. And... Uh, I want him to protect them, um, if if so that Satan will not move in any direction outside his perfect will. When, yeah. Uh, Jesus, over and over again, at the miracles, uh, people would come to him, and he knew very well what they wanted. But he said several times, he said, "What is it you want from me, or what do you want me to do?" 
despite the fact that you may know full well what's best for us. Yeah. Yeah, see, that, that passage in James, he says, you know, you fight and you grub around and, and, and you don't have. And the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. So that's, that's one side of it, you know. The other side of it is that God can do anything he wants to do. Now, when is it he doesn't do it if I don't ask? I do not know. But I'm going to keep asking. So I don't, I don't, I don't try to extend that, uh, uh, TJ. I just, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, no, I, no, I'm comf- I'm comfortable with the tension because uh, I'm commanded to pray, and I, and I don't, I go before God and ask Him. But you know, I think, I think the bottom line to prayer is when we go to God, He, you know, He says, pour out your heart before Him, ask Him anything, but. Do as Jesus did, and it's all under the umbrella of Thy will, not my will, be done. You know, because I don't know how to sort out what's best for me or what's best for any of you that I'm praying for you. Uh, and yet, when I see issues, I think we ought to pray specifically. That's supplication. You know. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jack. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, it's it's a mystery. Uh, we do it because we're commanded. It's it's an act of faith. But you know, we pray and something happens and we see a, a result and boy, you know, we get all excited and and uh, then we pray and nothing happens and we want to, you know, what in the world's going on? You know, and then we don't pray and uh, something happens and we want to. Well, I wonder what would happen if I'd have prayed, you know, and so. Uh, it is, 
And it's hard work. I'll tell you how hard it is if we went around here and polled each other to see how much time and prayer we're getting each week. It wouldn't be very much, would it? Because it is tough. Try to block a half a day of prayer off by yourself. If you go with a group, it, they kind of shuttle you along. That helps. But go, just try to block off a half a day of prayer by yourself and go do that on your own. This is absolutely rhetorical because I don't want to have to answer it myself. But when's the last time you've had a half a day of prayer by yourself and pulled it off? Well, I tell you, that's, it's a spiritual battle. But that's where the victory's won. That's where the church, that's when the church begins to really have power. That's where we have it in our own lives. But boy, it's tough. It is tough. And it's purely a faith deal. Yes, sir. Absolutely. The whole idea of pouring your heart out to God is He's going to come back and give you some information there. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking prayer, too, is to me is an indication of my dependence upon God. I am dependent upon Him. Rather than taking things in my own hands and trying to work them out, I am dependent upon Him and relying on Him. That's prayer. Sure does. And we don't like dependence either. And that's where it throws it. Yeah, independence is our our lower nature wants to be independent. Yeah. I think prayer is also combined with uh, believing. Mark 11, 24 commands to pray and believe. James 1, 6 says to pray without doubting. Yeah. Well, I think just the the act of prayer is a is the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sign of our dependence on God and our submission to God. Sure is. Yeah, we're the one that needs to pray. I mean, he doesn't need the prayers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's so simple, and yet, boy.
Well, let's look at verse 2. Rushing through Timothy. Rushing through Timothy. <laughs> 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 Why am I going so? I'm trying, I'm trying to put off cha- verse 9 as long as I can. <laughs> verse 2, for we're called to also pray for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Pray for those in authority. God's put them in authority, but he says, I want you to pray for them. Why? So you can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity or honesty. It's so that we can live in an environment where we can share the gospel and live out the gospel in our own lives. And we in this country take that for granted. Because we've never, we've always had that privilege. We may, we may not always have it, but we have up to this point. But I'm sure if we had some of our brothers and sisters from some of the other countries around the, around the world... This this verse two would mean would mean a lot would have a lot more meaning to it than it does you and I. Let's look at a, a fellow that understood that, and uh, turn with me to Nehemiah, if you would. If you find. Uh, Psalms and Proverbs, just go to your left just a little past Job and you'll find him. (coughs) (laughs) Nehemiah. Wait till you find him. Someone read first eleven verses for us, please. Nehemiah one. Now it came about when our 
sat down and slept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant in his loving kindness. For those who love him and keep his commandments, let thy ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant which I am praying before thee now. Day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servant, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, that we have sinned against thee and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Can someone pick up and read verses 8 through 11 for us? Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem by thy great power, by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. Okay. I want to read just a little more in chapter 2, but Nehemiah is he's in captivity, and he, he hears about Jerusalem, and he's got a real burden for it, and he'd like to go to Jerusalem and help build, rebuild the wall. And so we just read his prayer, and in verse 11... He says, uh, grant me compassion before this man. He's talking about the king, the man in authority. And so, now let's see, let's see how it plays out. Someone read verses uh, 1 through 6 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of Akashasis, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and its gates are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For why dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall the journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. 
So Nehemiah looked at his authority over him. He obviously would been he prayed for the king, but he also prayed that God would move the king's heart. Let me share one proverb with you. Turn to your right. Proverb twenty one. One read Proverbs twenty one one. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Men, if you haven't written that one on your memory, let me encourage you to do, let me encourage you to do that. The king's heart is like the, the the king's heart is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. That's what happened to Nehemiah. God just moved the king's heart. And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to pray for the kings. I want you to pray for those in authority so that you can live a tranquil life, an honest life, so that you can have the freedom. And we'll see as we go on down through the chapter because he talks about the gospel. So you got the freedom to to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Be a part of it. Sharing the gospel. Living out the gospel in your own life. Let me give you an application on this one. The next time you disagree with those in authority over you, before you confront them or attempt to move out from under their authority or move over go over their head pray and wait you may want to claim Proverbs 21 1 the heart of the king and the hand of the Lord is like rivers of water he turns it wherever he wishes Man, I can't tell you the number of times that that I've claimed that verse and uh, prayed it and seen God just do marvelous things. Whether we like it or not, lenders are authorities over us <laughs> if we owe money. And I've literally had bankers sit as they're filling out the note and saying, you know, I don't really don't know why I'm doing this. I really, I really shouldn't be doing this, but all the time telling themselves and all the time filling out the papers. I've had it happen on numerous occasions. If you're an employee, pray for those over you. Boy, do we need to pray for our president, for our Congress. For our state and our county and our city. We're in big trouble in this country. Our moral fiber is little to none. We have uh, we have uh, served at the altar of the Almighty Dollar for so long 
that uh, personally I really wonder whether we got the character even to go to war or whether we'll just continually compromise. We need to pray. And we've got, a, we've got an occasion to pray in this country. Because that generation of World War II, that resolve, that character, that uh, willingness to stand for what's right is, uh, is much less today. I don't know what's going to happen in Iraq. I'm not a prophet or anything, but I'll be, I'll be very surprised if we go to war. And I, I think we'll have, we, we stand a better chance of just negotiating and letting them have part of what they want because we haven't got the character to do what's right. And if it continues, as verse 2 says... In First Timothy, we may not have an environment where we can lead a tranquil and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Because those are a result of the hand of God. And so you and I, we're instructed to pray for those in authority. We'll probably break out and go to war tomorrow and smash them, you know. I'll let you know what I'm, I know, but uh, I think we're in trouble. Boy, do we need to pray, men, for those in authority. Oh, we got, we got men in authority that haven't even got the guts to deal with a budget issue because they got an election coming up. And what's really, I think, really dangerous is as we sit around here, we've all got a real distrust for the institution. And yet, and yet, Without the institution, we'll have absolutely anarchy. And so God uses the institution to keep order so that we can have tranquil, lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. You say, what can we do? Well, we can do what God tells us to do, Pray. We really need to bear down in prayer. Well, man, we got through two big verses this morning. Pray for all men. Let me encourage you to pray. Pray for the luncheons Wednesday and Thursday that men will come to Christ. Without Him, there is no hope, huh? We'll pick up with verse 3 and try to not get to verse 9 by next, next week. So I'm being facetious. Have a good week, men.
On this? No, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I just I just handed this out because I, I just thought it was good. By the way, um, if any of you are interested, this comes out, I don't know, bi-monthly or whatever. That's uh, kind of good. Don't He is fairly brief in his remarks generally, but uh, don't let that throw you. You read that thing two or three times, get to thinking on it. It's uh, it's a lot deeper than you might at first glance think. And uh, if for you that don't know who he is, he is uh, he was the he was a pastor of uh, one of the big Presbyterian churches in Washington D.C. for years and years and years. He's now the uh, chaplain of the Senate. So uh, man of God and kind of sees uh, sees our times as they are. So. Uh, so I just thought that one probably wouldn't be relevant for any of you, but you might have some friends you're working with that it would be, so um, you could use it with them. So. Let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter 2 one more time. Last week, um, <coughs> for you that were here last week, we covered two verses, so we, uh, I don't think it, I don't think that you guys are slow, I think I'm just a slow teacher, I think that's how it works, but uh, someone pick up with First Timothy chapter 2 and uh, just read the chapter for us again, would you? Paul is writing to his young Timothy. Paul has left, uh, told Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And uh, 
continue to uh, disciple and teach <coughs> within the church there. And so the book of First Timothy is instruction to Timothy in terms of uh, what he ought to be teaching uh, the church, the body of Christ there in Ephesus. So, uh, Lon, why don't you open us with prayer and we'll kick off. Well, last week we talked about verse 1 and 2. 1, we talked about that as... It's interesting that it really is the beginning of the instruction to the church. And the very first thing he says is, uh, first of all, then I urge you and to pray. And so prayer is the, the real undergirding of the body of Christ. It's the real undergirding of our own personal walk in life, if we're going to keep it in focus. And in verse 2 talks about that uh, we're instructed to pray for those in authority over us, for kings and so on, so that we might uh, live in an environment that's, uh, that we can live quiet and uh, tranquil lives. And I think part of the motivation there is with verses 3 through 7, and that is that we might live in an environment which we can share the gospel, that we can live out the gospel. And uh, as many of us read about, but probably few of us have seen, there are a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ around this globe that uh, haven't had the privileges that we have. In fact, <coughs> Al Deepravine, the uh, fellow that was speaker at the lunch in the last two days, uh, we were visiting, and he just had been in Russia recently, and uh, he was uh, he was sharing how he went to a uh, church service at a Baptist church in Moscow. Said the hell the building held about 800. He said uh, people arrived thirty minutes to an hour beforehand just so they get a seat. He said they had to have 1,200 in the church. He said the service went on for two and a half hours. People brought their lunch. He said he watched one little lady and she had a little apple and a little piece of bread and that was it. And of course it was all in Russian. But he said uh, he, would, he was sorry when it was over. He said he could have sat there for four hours. He said there was a, there was a sense of worship uh, with God, a sense of um, intimacy with the Father that uh, he said you just you have a hard time seeing it in this country. And then it was interesting. He made a he made a comment. He said, you know, he said it 
I have mixed emotions about them opening up for freedom and uh, for uh, democracy because uh, he said they're going to lose part of that. So I think this morning, that's, uh, I think that's partly what uh, uh, Paul is speaking about here in Timothy, and I want to I address that some this morning out of the scriptures of our own walk with God and our own intimacy with Him. Let's look at verses 3 through 7. He says it's... It's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if you have any questions about uh, one of your purposes or the will of God for your life, um, I think you can, come, you can take from that verse that uh, God desires all men to be saved. And so, as his children, as his priests, as his representatives, I think we have to continually ask ourselves, do we have that heart? What are we doing with men around us that do not know the Savior? He says in verse 5, he says, For there is one God and one mediator and between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony bore at the proper time. Jesus was two things here, he says. One is he was a mediator. If you look up that that word in the Greek, it means a go-between. And I don't know whether... do you, In your own mind, do you feel like that Jesus is really a go-between for you? Between you and the Father? Yeah. He's certainly a ransom. We think of him as a ransom. You know, he paid the price. He died on the cross for our sins. So we've we've been ransomed, we've been paid. But do you think of him as a mediator? Someone that is uh, looking out for us. A high priest. Let's just look at two or three verses, which I think are helpful. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Turn to your right. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look, let me just read with verse 14 on. It says, Since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, 
that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What goes off in your mind when you, when you hear the thought, the throne of grace? As you enter into prayer, what, as you come before the throne of grace, what, anything conjure up in your mind or, or, uh, a passage that's helped me and, uh, it's really blessed me in terms of thinking about, uh, coming before the throne of grace. Is Revelation chapter four, and let's let's just turn over there. Last book in the Bible. Keep turning to your right. <coughs> Let me just read this out loud. But think in terms of as you go into prayer, as I go into prayer, that we're coming before the throne of grace, that the Father Himself. Is there, and so just why don't you just listen? You can watch, follow along in your Bible if you want, but just picture in your mind coming before the throne of grace as one of His children as you as you go into prayer. And let me just read this because this is what John saw. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like a sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And on the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and in behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the fourth creature, and the, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures... And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sit on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, 
For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and are created. What do you visualize as you go into prayer? As you go before the throne of grace? The writer of Hebrews in 4, 4, uh, 16 tells us that you and I can come confidently, boldly before the throne of grace. We can come before the Father. Do you see yourself coming before the Father on His throne as you come into prayer? And that passage we looked at in Hebrews says we come that we might receive mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. While you're in Revelation, just turn on over with me to chapter 12, if you would, for a moment. (coughs) Revelation chapter 12. Let me just read about five verses. I'm going to start with verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of the old, who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he who's thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because of the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Notice in verse 10 it says, That Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's you and I. He accuses us before God day and night. But in verse 11, the good news is that we have overcome. We're overcomers because of the blood of the Lamb. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says that you and I, as children of God can boldly and confidently come before God because of the blood of the Lamb. And he says, you come to receive mercy. And we do receive mercy because of the blood, because of Christ. We don't receive what we deserve because of Christ. That's mercy. Do you see yourself 
as you begin to pray, coming before the throne, understanding who you are in Christ, that you are an overcomer because of the blood of the Lamb, that you can come before the throne of the Almighty confidently and boldly because of Jesus. What a privilege, huh? Well, let's turn back to Timothy chapter 2. Let's look at verse 7. The Apostle Paul says of himself, he says, I'm an apostle. I, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Paul is saying that God has reached out and called him to be a preacher. That just means someone that heralds the truth, tells the truth. He's an apostle. An apostle, as Paul was an apostle, was an official delegate. He was, a, he was an official delegate of God. Set apart, sent out, and he had the authority of God. As you read through his life, and you see him doing all kinds of miraculous things. God gave him that ability in order to establish that he did have authority. And I think one of the things that we have to grasp from that is that when Paul says in verse 8, I want the men in every place to pray, that's God speaking because he was an apostle. He was God's representative. He was speaking God's literal words. Or when he says in verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves, that's God speaking. Or when he says in verse 12, I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over men, that's God speaking. And we have to take it at first face value because he did have the authority of God. He was his delegate. And we're told that uh, all Scripture is uh, inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped, adequate for every good work. And so I think it's, we always need to go back and review that this is, it's not a book, and it's not just teachings, it's the Word of God. When you read this, God is speaking to you. When someone else reads it, God is speaking to you. You're listening to God speak to you, just as, just as real as when your wife or friend speaks to you. 
The difference would be that it's absolute truth. And men, there's always been a battle, and I think more probably today than ever, on the authority of the Scriptures. In verse 7, Paul's establishing what his authority was. And if you're going to buy in that this is the Word of God, then you've got to buy the concept that there's absolutely no errors in it. It's inerrant. That God has revealed Himself through this book, and He's protected it through the centuries. And you're going to have to accept some things by faith if you're going to hold to that position. And there's four things that you're going to have to accept by faith if you're going to buy the inerrancy of the Scriptures. First of all, by faith, you're going to have to accept that God wants to communicate with man. Secondly, we're going to have to accept by faith that God is able in such a way to communicate with man that finite man can understand. That an all-creating God can communicate to finite man, you and I. Thirdly, that man can take the thoughts of God and communicate them. Now that's that is awesome when you think about it. That you and I, in our deprived state, can take the absolute truth of God and God allows us to take that word and communicate it as absolute truth. And the fourth thing or premise you're going to have to buy by faith is that those thoughts communicated by man are unpolluted. In other words, as we translate the Scriptures, that God gives man the ability to translate them unpolluted. And you're going to have to accept those by faith. But my friends, the alternative to that is devastating because it's not only heresy but it's eventually walking away from Jesus himself there are denominations in this country today that deny even the deity of Christ and if you want to do a study and follow it back the day that they walked away from the inerrancy of the Scripture is the day it was just it was predictable that that's where they'd end up. So I just invite you to think through think through inerrancy again. Um, maybe recommit before the Lord that it is His Word. It is God Himself speaking to you. Let's look at verse verse eight. Sure. The last statement you made: uh, the ability of man to translate. 
Oh my. <laughs> no, 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 I'm stuck. No, I. You were saying, What I'm saying is that, that God gives man the ability to communicate the Word of God and translate it unpolluted. Or, or even even in the written form, mm -hmm. in the original transcripts. Yep. I'd rather you not use the NIV, oh, but. No, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that God gives us the ability to to uh, communicate truth. No. <laughs> sure. So often, you know, you go to these various churches, and some of the uh, pastors that are up there preaching will say exactly what you said, and then they'll put a tag on it. And the, and the tag always says, is there a, a manuscript in their original form? I think we've probably all heard that from various preachers around the uh, well, I I I don't think it's necessarily a cop out because I think that, for example, and let me just I'm going to get in trouble here, but that's all right. Um, Let's take the NIV. You're talking about the NIV. It is an absolute terrible translation. And uh, the reason it is, is because uh, the, the men that translated it, translated it with a theory called the dynamic equivalent. And if any of you like an article on that, I'll be happy to give you one. But what happens is the dynamic equivalent says and, and uh, says that man needs to help God communicate culturally with with I mean God needs man's help to communicate his word between men because it's a cultural issue and because of that they begin to move it around and I, I can show you, we don't have time, but we could spend the morning just on, on the NIV and, and the liberties they've taken that just are absolutely, um, you compare them to one of the translations where they haven't used that theory, and it's just it's night and day. And so um, that's what they mean when they say the original transcripts. If you don't go back to those, and, and the, the, NIV, the NIV has not done that consistently because they started off, they, they do not believe, the people that hold the dynamic equivalent do not believe all of those four premises that I said we have to accept by faith. And so they've tried to, they've tried to intervene. And as, as a result, 
it's, it's less than, than the best. Now, does God use it? Sure, He uses it. Does He bless people with it? Sure, He does. You know? Then take the paraphrase, which is not a translation. No one ever called it a translation. Does God use it? Sure. But it's still not a good translation. And so that's why they say the original, that's why they say original transcript. So I don't think it's a cop out in that sense, see? Yeah. Lon, you started to say something. Yeah. Yeah. See, they would not hold to the inerrancy of the Scripture. They would not say that this is absolute without error. People that hold that, yeah. Let's look at verse 8, okay? He gives some instructions to men. We'll look next week at the instructions to the women in the church. But he gives instructions to you and I as men in the church. When I say the church, I'm not talking about the brick and mortar across the street or down the street or across town. I'm talking about the people of God, wherever they're meeting. They're meeting here this morning. We're having church this morning. And here's the instructions he gives to us. He says, Therefore I want men... In every place, wherever the body of Christ is meeting, every place, okay? To pray. Lifting up holy hands. Now that, I thought about that as uh, some of you fellows may be more in the charismatic camp, but generally most guys that come here are not. And uh, uh, our charismatic brothers... uh, they, uh, that, that's one of their characteristics is lifting up holy hands and uh, I, I affirm them in that well let's talk about what holy hands means and I want to go back and just look at some scriptures and see, uh, see if we can get a, get a view of that as we come before the throne of God as we've already talked about <coughs> He says, I want you to pray, lifting up holy hands. We come before the Father, lifting up holy hands. Turn with me. Let's go back to Psalm 24. Someone read Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Let me, let me give you several, several verses, and uh, someone take them, and then you can just read them for us. Uh, who will take that Psalm 24, 3 and 4? Okay. Isaiah 59, 1 through 4. Hello. Who will take that? 
Okay. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 through 20. Someone? Okay. Uh, Hebrews 10, 22. Hello? Who's got it? Chuck? Okay. James 4, 7 through 10. Okay. And Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Someone take a... Okay. All right, let's start with... Three and four. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. Okay. Isaiah 59, 1 through 4. Don't think that the Lord is too weak to save you or too deaf to hear your call for help. It is because of your sins that he doesn't hear you. It is your sins that separate you from God when you try to worship him. You are guilty of lying, violence, and murder. You go to court, but you do not have justice on your side. You depend on lies to win your case. You carry out your plans to hurt others. Okay. Psalm 66, 18 through 20. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear but certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. Okay. Hebrews 10, 22. James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore... Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to, to change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, let's hold. Let's hold that just a moment, okay. men. As we come before the throne of God, we've come before the Holy of Holies, and all of us come less than holy, don't we? And yes, Jesus has died for our sins. And he's washed us clean. But John says to us, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so, as we come before the throne of God, we need to come considering... Do we have clean hands? A pure heart? The speaker yesterday at the luncheon was telling about his own conversion and how he 
came to a point where he had to just ask God to begin to bring to mind those things that he needed to confess before God. And if we're going to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, we've got to deal with our sin. We've got to call it what it is and claim the blood of Christ, but we have to face it. And I don't know about you, but uh, I can kind of take my spiritual temperature or my walk with Jesus if I'll just stop and think a minute how I'm doing in, my, in the area of confession time. I'm spending some time just confessing, coming clean. See, God knows it anyway. But we need, we need to get before the Father and lay those sins before Him. And that's what He means when He says that we come before, we can boldly and confidently come before the throne of grace that we might receive mercy. Oh, how we need mercy every day, don't we? See, from God's perspective, we're absolutely forgiven. It's done. Jesus on the cross said, Tedelestai, he said, it's finished. And he paid the cost for all of our sins. But from our standpoint as men, we need, we live it out. And part of living it out is to continually come before the Father and confess it. We need to go through that process. Rhetorically, how you doing in that area? You need to get cleaned up? Just go before the Father and do that. And I'd encourage you maybe to write down these, this, two, uh, this psalm. It's a, great, it's a great prayer. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. If you've never memorized it, memorize it. Begin to pray it every morning before the Father as you come before His throne. Jim, why don't you read that for us? Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Yeah. Father, point out those areas. Help me come clean. See, men, you'll never get in trouble with God if you just be honest with Him. You can't be holy except by the blood of Christ. You're never going to be perfected. You're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. And He knows that. That's not any, that's not any surprise to Him. All he asks us to do is to be upfront and be honest with him. And that's all he wants. So he can just love us and we can enjoy all the benefits as his children. 
Two more things Paul instructs you and I as men. Back to Timothy 2.8. First Timothy 2.8, he says, Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and dissension, or without wrath and doubting, King James says. Without wrath. The word wrath there means violent passion or vengeance. Turn with me. Hold your finger at Timothy. We're coming back. Just turn to the left over to Matthew chapter 5. I think Jesus was speaking... the principle being taught here. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He says, If therefore you are presenting your offerings at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Paul is telling you and I today, if you're going to come before the throne of God and you want to have fellowship, if you've got some relationships that need to be cleaned up, Clean them up. If you've got brothers in this room that you've got problems with, then you better get with them and talk about it. Ask forgiveness. If you've got people in your past that you've got wrath, you're carrying it in your heart. Maybe no one knows it but you. You better get before the Father. But you better go, Jesus says, you better go take care of the relationship. I don't know what that looks like, but you better deal with it. Because it's going to affect your, it's going to affect your prayer life. It's going to affect your vibrant walk with God. (coughs) Gentlemen, I think, I think the cancer of the soul is bitterness. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we can miss the grace of God. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about going to heaven. But you remember that verse we looked at in Hebrews 4.16 says that we come before the throne of grace with confidence, boldness, that we might receive mercy, receive what we do not deserve, and find grace to help in time of need. And every one of us needs grace to live it out each day, don't we? We need a new batch of grace, if you will. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that we'll miss that grace. We'll miss God's help. We'll miss God's empowering. We'll miss God's working in our lives to get it back into focus when we go out.
if we have bitterness. If we got relationships, if we're carrying wrath, he says, come before the throne without wrath. Maybe it's an ex-wife. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend. I don't know who it is. But you're not going to have a vibrant prayer life and a vibrant walk with your Savior if you're carrying wrath. They are mutually exclusive. Several years ago, in my own life, I uh, I hadn't been a Christian too long, and I uh, I went to a seminar that talked about clear conscience and uh, this very issue. And the man challenged all of us to uh, make a list of those relationships that uh, weren't right and to ask God to bring them up. And uh, then he suggested that we take the big one first, the next largest second. Well, I didn't do that. I put the big one last. And then it took me six months to a year to go through that list. I hadn't been in the kingdom very long, but I had uh, I'd done lots of damage before I got in the kingdom. One of the hardest things I ever did in my life, because you've got to humble yourself. You've got to say, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? But I can also say to you that it was the most freeing, liberating thing I ever did. Don't carry that. God doesn't want us to carry that. You're not responsible for how those people respond to you, but you are responsible for how you treat them. And it's a, it's a decision of faith, not feeling. Because your feelings will tell you, I'm not going to do it. Or you'll go into reason instead of revelation. You'll reason all the, re- all the things they did to you. That's their responsibility. But your responsibility is how you responded to what they did. Or maybe you're mad at God. Maybe there's been things in your life that you're just absolutely mad at God. Well, tell him you're mad at him. And talk it through. Hold in Timothy. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6.
What's the solution? What's the solution for those feelings we have? We know we're not supposed to carry wrath, and yet we have those feelings. We're still mad. We can't deny that. We're still angry. We're still hurt. We're still disappointed. Whatever it is. Well, Jesus tells us what to do about that. Luke six twenty seven and 28. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Gentlemen, if you've got those feelings inside, begin to pray for those people that you feel that way about. Ask God He'll bless them. If they're not Christians, pray for their salvation. Pray God will bless them temporally. Bless them with everything you'd like to have. I remember a friend of mine one time was just steaming over a Christian guy that had snookered him out of some money. He was just, he was livid. And so I was, I was having a little fun with him, but I mean, it was also the truth. So I told him this. I said, just pray that God will just bless him with everything. He said, I'm not about to. He said, if I do that, I said, he said, I know God will do it. You know, so. <laughs> we all feel that way, don't we? But by faith, not by feelings, begin to pray for them. I learned this years years ago. I had a guy that was had been a partner of mine, and, and he had really, I felt like really rinky dude me. And uh, there's always two sides to every story, and uh, he had his side. But I had those feelings, and I'd find myself in the shower of a morning, angry, just absolutely angry with him. And I ran onto this, and I began to just pray for him daily. And I don't know where along the line, several months later, one morning it just dawned on me, those feelings were gone. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. But you have to do it by faith, not by feelings. So Paul says to Timothy, I want you to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath. And without doubting. Or it says dissension. And the word here, doubting or dissension, means to internally consider or externally debate, dis dispute, doubtful. Man, I think, as I thought through this, I think this is an attitude... I was reminded, uh, when I first got out of the university, I taught school for three and a half years. And I had a young guy in, in one of my classes, well, he's in several of my classes, and just a lovable young guy. But he never did learn a lot. It wasn't that he didn't have the ability, but any time you'd tell him anything, he'd say, yeah, but, and then he'd start. And you'd 
you'd teach something else, and he'd say, yeah, but, but he'd start. And in fact, we finally, uh, we finally nicknamed him, yeah, but Hager. And if we're not careful, we can be yow butts with God's word. Yeah, but how about this? Yeah, but how about this? And we never come to the knowledge of the truth. We never drive some stakes in our lives and have some absolutes to guide us and stabilize us. Turn with me right quick. I know we're about out of time, but Luke chapter 5. I think it's a good illustration of this. This is the story of some men that bring... This paralyzed fell on a bed to Jesus to be healed. Uh, Luke uh, 17 down. I'm not going to read all of it. We don't have time. But they bring him in. And you remember, they, they dug a hole in the roof and, and, lift, and uh, let him down so they could get uh, Jesus uh, to see him. In verse 20 it says, And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then in verse 22, But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, King James says thoughts. That's the same word as doubting or dissensions back in the Timothy passage. And Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Gentlemen, I think part of our prayer life is when God shows us something, we don't yell buddy. And we don't begin to operate in our relationship with God on the basis of how we reason it, we accept it, and do it. And so Paul tells you and I, through Timothy, I want men every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. Let me pray, huh? Father, we count it a real privilege to be able to pray as your children, that we can come before your throne of grace confidently, boldly, that we might receive mercy and we might find grace to help in time of need. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are needy men, that we need mercy and we need grace daily, hourly. Father, I'd pray for each of my brothers here and myself that you'd help us to deepen our walk with you, deepen our prayer life, 
Father, bring to all of our minds those areas of our lives that are not holy, that we're not confessing, we're not facing up to, so that we can all come before you lifting up holy hands. And Father, I would pray that you would convict each of us of those areas of wrath in our own lives. Those relationships that we need to go and uh, do what we can do. Make right to the best that we can. And then, Father, I pray that you'd help each of us. That you'd point out those areas of our lives that we are doubters, dissension, disputing. Those areas maybe that we're not wanting to just say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And so we begin to try to reason instead of accept it by faith and do it. And Lord, we're... We're all guilty. We confess it. Help us not be there. Because, Father, we just want to know you and understand you, serve you, fellowship with you, and receive all that you have for us as your children. Thank you for your love, for your gentleness, and your patience with us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Men, have a good week. I knew I was going to get in trouble. (laughs) As a matter of fact, from the time way back, Campus Crusade staff uh, used to use the, you know, American Standard, went to the new American Standard like everybody else.